0: its own and so Jesus I mean he, he comes straight up and he's just like don't worry do not be anxious right we talked a couple of weeks ago when Jesus says don't don't like pay attention pay attention he's one want, he's wanting to save us from a lot of heartache and pain and so he's saying do not worry do not be anxious now that word in the Greek for worry uh, it, it has a really interesting meaning The the, the word means, it means to be pulled apart, to be divided or torn in two. It means to be pulled in a different direction. And so basically what what this word means is what's happening in your mind is that it's taking you, like when you worry in your mind, it takes you to a place you shouldn't go isn't that interesting? When you worry, you're, you're allowing your thoughts in your mind to go to a place where God doesn't want you to go. It pulls you in the wrong direction. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't let your mind go to those places. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Now, a little side note. A little side note. I recognize that there are people in this room uh, who are living with a mental illness, yeah. and you have experienced pain and heartache and darkness and and just really difficult stuff. Yeah. And in in no way, in no way do I want to minimize uh, some of the things that you've been through. In no way do I want to minimize your experiences. Um, you know the heartache and the struggle that you've gone through. Like I. I that's, that's not the point of, of this message. Um, as I was sharing earlier, my wife, this has been part of her struggle. Anxiety and, and uh, trauma and, and some other things. And so I firsthand have been walking through uh, the, the, just the darkness that someone can go through in the midst of this. We also want you to know that we believe here, we believe in medicine, uh, we believe in doctors, we believe in psychiatrists. Um, and so if that's you, if you're going through a really difficult season, uh, just know that uh, we're a community that we want to walk with you. Um, There are people in this group that actually are are passionate about talking about that and walking in it, and and so someone like Ray and Gina, and and so if that's you, please come. I want to connect you. You guys hear me? Um, And so... Uh, I, I want to just share that when Jesus talks about not worrying, um, he's talking, uh, in the context uh, is talking more about the day-to-day worries of life, uh, the, the, the needs that we as human beings have and need, and, and the worry, the anxiety that comes with that, and how our mind can wander when we struggle about those desires, okay? Okay. Um, and so Jesus says things like, don't worry about what you eat, about what you drink, about what you wear, right? And so it's these, these outward needs. Um, but I, I want, don't limit it to just kind of a literal, like, well, that's all I don't have to worry about, right? Just my food and my drinks and my clothes that I wear. That's what Jesus said in his passage. Everything else I can worry about, those are the ones I can't. no, no. Um, really uh, what Jesus is doing is he's kind of encompassing a lot of different things, all right? So I, I just wrote a list. I was thinking through. I was talking to some different people. What are some of the, the worries that maybe some of us uh, are, are experiencing right now that would fit under this category that Jesus is talking about? And I think a big one would be finances. Everyone's like, everyone, not, not a one of you, right? Finances is a big thing. You know, we ask questions like, how am I going to pay for that thing? Yeah. How am I going to pay my bills? Yeah. How am I going to pay rent? Yeah. How am I going to provide a meal this week? Yeah. How am I, uh, I going to uh, pay for my school? Our finances, I mean, they can be just really, really mess with our minds. I've been there. Actually, I think I've mentioned this before. There was a moment where I got an ulcer. Um, and it had to do with not being able to pay bills. I was so worried; it like affected the like my my entire body. It was eating away at my stomach, like messed up stuff. Um, so, finance is a big one. Uh, I think another one is just things like, man, will I ever get married? Uh, will I ever find a spouse? Will I ever find the right person? Will I ever have kids? If I don't get married until I'm in my 30s, like what does that mean? Like, you know, is my sickness actually cancer? Is my, are my illnesses, are they worse than they are? Right, like, like our everyday stuff that so often can just consume our minds. Yeah. Will I ever get a job? Will I ever get out of my parents' house? Will I get a promotion? You guys with me? Yeah. Any other ones that I missed? Any big ones? College. Will I ever go to college? Will I pass college? Okay. <laughs> so that's with the finances? Will I be able to pay for college? Will I pass this class? Will I get the job I want? Yeah. Will I be alive tomorrow? Okay. So the maybe even the worry of death and, and the fear of death and Okay. So these are, these are a lot of worries, right? And they consume our mind. And so Jesus, Jesus straight up is saying, listen, don't, don't go to that place. Don't let your mind wander to those places that are leading you in the opposite direction of where I want you to go. And then Jesus, he starts to say things like, uh, he tar- starts to use words like life and body. He says, uh, isn't your life more important than food and drink? And isn't your body more important than clothes? And so he uses these interesting words, life and body. And then Jesus then starts to go into these illustrations. He starts talking about the birds in the air, right? And he's saying, uh, you know, birds in the air, they don't don't store up, you know. They don't, don't, uh, I'm just going to read it. Um, uh, They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in the barns. And then he says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Right. And then later on, he tells another illustration about the, the, the flowers in the field. And, and, and he uses this uh, example of Solomon. Right. Solomon was the most uh, in the Old Testament, a king, probably the, the one of the most uh, uh, wealthiest men in the history of the world. Right. And, and not even Solomon, not even Solomon in all his splendor is clothed in the way that the flowers in the field are clothed by the father. And so Jesus is are using these examples. He's using body and life and birds and plants and flowers. You see, when Jesus uses these words, uh, th- th- there's a purpose for them. Jesus, Jesus is using creation language creation language remember he's talking to a Jewish audience and to a Jewish audience creation was an important part of their story and uh, in Hebraic understanding the word life and body if those uh, were talked about that it took them to Genesis it took them to Genesis in Genesis 127 it's that part of the story where Jesus or where God the creator of the universe he, he uh, says that he made humanity in his own image, in his own image and so you are an image bearer right, you were created in the image of the eternal all powerful creator God and then in Genesis 2, 7 it's then telling the story about how God, not only did he create in his own image but he said that he took from the dust and he formed a body out of the dust and then what does he do with the dust says that he breathes he breathes, and that, that's the, the, the word life, life, into the body, the vessel. And so for a Jewish audience to hear Jesus say, isn't life, isn't the body more important? He's taking them back to Genesis. And in this story, right, when God creates, he creates mountains and oceans and everything. And he says, it is good, right? He creates animals and he says, it is good. And he creates other things, the stars and the sun, it is is good and then when he creates these image bearers where he takes body and breathes life into it he then says it is very good very good we've talked about that before here you as an image bearer you God looks at you and he says you are very good Good, you are very good. And so when he's talking about body and life and brings in birds and flowers, people are starting to realize what's happening. He's talking about the creation story. You are good. And after he talks about birds, he then says, are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much, Jesus. that's what Jesus says, don't you see He's taken them back to the you are image birds. You are more valuable than even the birds. You are more valuable. And so when we worry and we let our mind wander in a direction we're not supposed to go and we have these imagined fears that, that haven't happened, we are forget. essentially we are forgetting the truth of who God designed us to be, who he has created us to be. You see, God designed us to be valuable. He calls you worthy. He calls you his child. He says, oh, very, very good. Very good. You are unique. You are wonderful. And you are worth more than you would ever know. To God, you are worth so much. And when we worry, when we let our minds wander, it's like we forget that. You are valuable. Now, who here would like $20? Okay, most everyone, all right. Now, who wants $20? Okay. (laughs) 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 Okay, seriously, but like who who now wants the $20? (laughs) You see what happens when we worry it's almost as if we, we get focused on all the wrong things. And we start to, to look at our lives and we're like, ah, oh, I'm just worthless. I'm no good. Man, that worry, that I, I'm just, I'm a failure. And we start to focus on the wrinkles and all this stuff. And, and the reality is God looks at you for who you are. He says, no, don't you see you are valuable. All that, that, that no, you are worth what I always designed you to be and how I created you. Here you go, Josh. You are valuable. Jesus says don't worry because worry makes us believe lies. Mm -hmm. It makes us believe lies about ourselves. Right after he says, don't you see that you are more valuable than the birds? He then says, can any one of you add a single hour to your life? That's an interesting question. Can any, the, the more you worry, can you even add a single hour to your life? The more that you start wandering and thinking about that thing and that situation, can you do anything about it? Can you add more time to, your, to, to this existence? And that's what Jesus is asking. Basically, he's saying, You know what? When you worry, it's actually a waste of time. When you worry and when you get consumed by these things, you're wasting your head space. You don't achieve anything. Nothing good usually comes out of it, right? Right. It's actually, I don't know, about in my situation, so often it's counterproductive. And so Jesus asks this question and he says, don't get consumed by worry because it affects your identity and it achieves nothing. (laughs) Like just just stop for a second. It achieves nothing. And when we worry, Jesus then gets to this place. He's talked about the birds. He's talked about um, the, the, the flowers in the field and Solomon's splendor. And then he says, uh, if that is how God clothes the grass, of the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow, uh, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says this, you of little faith, you of little faith. Now, what's interesting about this? is I was doing some research on just different psychologists and the way they talked about worry and things like that. And, and uh, one psychologist, this, this is the way he talked about it. He said, "Worry, our worry is actually just a figment of our imagination. Let me say that again. Our worry is just a figment of our imagination. It's not even real. He says worry actually is, is when you worry, you put your trust in something that isn't real. Does that make sense? When I start to worry, when I let my mind wander, it's almost as if I'm putting my trust in that thing, even though it hasn't even happened. I thought that was interesting. So in a way, when I worry, I'm putting my faith in something other than God. If my worry is taking up my headspace and it's consuming me, my faith is no longer on the creator of the universe. My faith is somehow being pointed. My trust is being pointed to that situation, that thing. So, one time, uh, Jesus is on a boat, right? And he's asleep. And uh, his, his disciples are all around him. And the waves and stuff, they come. And, and it's pretty crazy. And, and they're freaking out. And Jesus is asleep. And, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus. And they wake him up. And, and they're like, don't you care? Don't you care? And this is what they say. We're going to die. We're going to drown. Don't you even care? And Jesus' response is he gets up and he calms the storm. And he says, oh, you, yeah. oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. See, I've been thinking about that passage. And what's interesting about that passage is, is it that they... I think the fact that they go to Jesus, they save us, save us, I think that's a great thing. But as soon as they start to claim to Jesus, we're going to die. You see what they're doing? They're saying this is what's going to happen. We're going to die. You're like you don't care. We're done for. And that's where Jesus is like, oh, don't you see? You're putting your trust in something else. I can save you. I will save you. And so in a way, they're putting their faith in the wrong thing. Their trust is in the waves, these things. And they're real, man. Those waves are real. It, the storm yeah. is real. Our worry, yeah. the, the things that we're worried about, those are real things a lot of times as far as like, you know, what's going on. But, but the reality is, is we're putting our faith in the wrong thing. Are you guys with me? Yeah. You of little faith. Mm-hmm. So our worry, it causes us to forget our identity. It achieves nothing. And we put our trust in things that aren't even truly real, as opposed to the one that can save us, the one that will protect us. Well, then we get to the part where Jesus gives a solution, right? It gives kind of an antidote. And he says, he gives us a big butt. He's talking, don't, don't worry, don't do this, don't worry about what you eat, what you wear, don't you, know, uh, don't you see the birds, don't you see the flowers, he, he, he's going to all this, and then he says, but, but, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. First thing he says is seek the kingdom of God. Seek, run after, explore, pursue the kingdom of God. Now, when we say kingdom of God, if, if, if you just think the place I go when I die, that's boring. Yes, God has a place for us when we're done in this world. Absolutely, we believe that here at the Edge. But if if you think that the kingdom of God is simply one day out there, that's boring. Because when Jesus was on earth and when he was interacting with, with people, he was saying things like, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's now, it's among you. And when he taught his disciples to pray, he would say, when you pray, say, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom, God, you're up to something. You're wanting to do something big and, and, and amazing in this world. You're coming to restore and redeem this world here. And now Jesus is inviting us to something so much greater than ourselves, his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Now, when, when we think of kingdom, remember, to, to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. So, so the king, uh, it's, uh, a kingdom is really how the king rules and reigns. And so when Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God, we have to remember how does the creator of the universe reign and rule in this place? You see, this king is good. This king is kind. This king loves, oh, loves you. This king actually will never leave you or abandon you. That thing you're worried about, this king says, you're not alone. That thing that's consuming your mind, this king says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The king of this kingdom is good. And the way that Jesus talked about the king was he, he said over and over in this passage, the heavenly father. Heavenly father. We've talked about this before. Many of us have hard situations when it comes to our fathers. But this father, oh, this father is a perfect father. This father is that that parent that will walk with you in your deepest fears, in your biggest worries and concerns. This father has your back. the moments with my wife in the last couple weeks, some of the hardest moments, some of the darkest moments for us, we just sat and we cried out, oh, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we need you. We're desperate for you because this Father is good. May you know in the depths the goodness of this Father. Oh, that's my prayer for you. That's my desire for you. May you know the depths of this Father. In this kingdom, not only is there a king and not only is there a good reign, but also we we have kingdom identities. In this kingdom, when we seek after the kingdom, we start to ask questions like, God, who do you say that I am? In your kingdom, what's my role? What's my responsibility? You see, in this kingdom, like we were talking about, you are worth so much. You are valuable. You are a child. You are an ambassador. Oh, and you have unique, beautiful giftings within this kingdom. And so in this kingdom, we start asking those questions. God, King, Father, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What's the truth about you, oh God? What's the truth about me? And what's the truth about my kingdom identity? Have you ever asked God those questions? One thing that we really love here at the Edge, something that we talk a lot about is something called freedom prayer. And what freedom prayer is, is it's, it's recognizing, hey, we all have brokenness, we all have wounds, we all have stuff, and we need redemption and we need healing. And so freedom prayer is just simply getting with a group of people, uh, some prayer warriors, and asking those questions, God, what's the truth about you and what's the truth about my kingdom identity? I'm telling you, if you've never done that before, I want to encourage you in it. It's an incredible ministry. It's not a one and done thing. You do it once and oh, I got it figured out. But it's a process, it's a journey. And so that's huge for us here is do you know your kingdom identity? Do you know who God says you are? Do you know? So lastly, in the kingdom, this heavenly father, we trust that this father has authority and power. This king has authority and power. And power, you see, when we worry so often is we trust in other things, but not only do we trust in something else, it's like we're giving them the power and the authority over our lives. You can rule and reign. You can have headspace in my mind. You can just run amok. And we give power and authority to something that was never meant to be a good king. And Jesus says, don't, don't, don't worry. Don't go down that road. Seek the kingdom of God and then he says, seek his righteousness. Now, we could spend so much time on seeking the kingdom and seeking his righteousness. And there's a video that will do, like does so much more than I could ever do. And uh, this is a video by the Bible Project. Some of you are very familiar with the Bible Project. Um, their, their stuff is incredible if you've never heard of it. Um, but this video, right, uh, we're talking about seek his righteousness. And so... Check out this video, it's about, it's a six minute video, um, but they just say it better than I ever could. So go ahead and roll it.
1: If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate.
2: And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals, you don't care.
1: If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other.
2: But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page 1, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness, no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly
1: redefining good and
2: evil to our own advantage at the expense of others.
1: Yeah, self preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so
2: in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to
1: teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word
2: for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So
1: justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life.
2: Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for
1: themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked?
2: Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an
1: image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God.
2: Yes, it is what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain
1: power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story.
2: God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them.
1: The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways.
2: Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others.
1: This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This
2: is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It is about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you humans what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
1: Him from the project. You can
2: turn that off. That's such a cool
0: video. I love that video. My gosh. Um, yeah, just a couple highlights from the video. Uh, righteousness. So often we think of righteousness, and we think it's about being a good person, just simply as that. Um, I need to read my Bible more. I need to go to church more, and that that makes me holy and righteous. But it's so much more in the Hebrew thinking, what, what Jesus is talking about when he's saying seek righteousness. I mean, he's, he's talking about like, like the way that you treat others, right? That you start to see them. We talked about image bears. That everyone you see, they are an image bearer. Someone that's different than you, someone that's lower on the status, someone that, that is being oppressed, they are an image bearer. It, it means that we advocate for the vulnerable right? Um, something that, that uh, some people in this group have done and we're going to continue to explore is something called Love Fosters Hope, and that's caring for foster kids and, and being cousins and, and doing all sorts of stuff. Man, we're, we're looking into how, as a community, we get more involved with some of the most vulnerable people in our society, foster kids. Um, it means speaking for those who can't speak for themselves. That's seeking righteousness, It means rescuing the disadvantaged. That's seeking righteousness. It means giving food to the hungry and setting prisoners free. That's seeking righteousness. Another thing that we have gotten involved with is seven more, and many of you have been a part of that. We we did a toy drive over Christmas. We did donations. Many of us have been going and meeting with prisoners as they get out of prison and just praying for them and claiming, you know what? God is so in love with you. Because prisoners in our society are kind of like just to the side. And every Thursday, Jenny and Bailey and others, every Thursday morning, they go to meet some of these prisoners, these men and these women. Would you join them? That is how we seek righteousness. And then, it, part of the video, it, I love the idea that because of the death and resurrection, because Jesus, through that, that moment in history, he is declared righteous. He then, because of his righteousness, he says, you, you, now you are righteous. You, that is a part of your identity. It's part of who you are. You see, when I worry, I start to forget that I am called righteous, and I'm called to seek after righteousness. And then the last thing that they, one of the last things that they said that I loved is that he had kind of the righteous uh, white thing and the blowhorn, right? right? This idea of courageously making other people's problems my problems. Yeah. Oh, may we be that type of a community. May we seek righteousness. And when uh, the guy throws down the, the righteousness and he's lifting him up, oh, that, that just gets me every time. May we seek righteousness righteousness. You see when Jesus says don't worry, don't worry about those things about the everyday needs, but instead remember the king, remember your kingdom identity and start seeking righteousness, start caring for the marginalized, the broken. That actually something happens when you start focusing your eyes not on your own problems and issues and worries and things, but you start to focus on caring for people in a kingdom identity with the king himself. And And I'm telling you, those worries start to go away and everything else just gets added. Oh, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. That is what we're being called to. That's the antidote to our worry. So as the band comes up and as we reflect in worship, we sing a couple more songs. I want to remind us that we have prayer partners somewhere, some over here. Um, we might have some over here. Um, and I just encourage you, if maybe you're struggling with your identity, you're struggling with worry, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with things, find one of the prayer partners and just pray with them. They, they, they'd love to pray with you. Uh, also, I, I talked about freedom prayer. If, that's, if you're struggling with knowing who you are, man, let, let us help you with that. Come find one of the leaders. We want to help you get connected to freedom prayer. Um, And then lastly, uh, find out how to get involved with seven more. Love fosters hope. Uh, Other things that we're, we're a part of. I'm telling you, may we be a people that seek the kingdom and seek righteousness. Let's worship
2: Jesus.